1: Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we look at the facts, the fiction, and beyond for, guess what, breastfeeding and beyond. And today, I'm very fortunate to have with me Shannon McKenney Schubert. Shannon, welcome to the show. Hi, Marie. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we are very interested. I am very interested. I'm sure I speak on behalf of my uh, listening audience as well, but we really want to dig into this, but let me just uh, kind of give you a little intro so that everybody knows about you. Shannon McKenney Schubert believes in the power of women's leadership. She envisions a future where breastfeeding women are at the forefront of decision-making in business, law politics, education, healthcare, and everywhere in between. Now that's a big bill to fill. <laughs> in her capacity as executive director of the Michigan Breastfeeding Network, she's cultivating this this leadership and working to catalyze system-level changes that influence breastfeeding outcomes. She's earned her master's degree in public health management and policy from the University of Michigan, and she has previously served as chief of staff for COEFFECTIVE, WIC, and breastfeeding program coordinator for the CHASS Center, and the policy consultant for the, I hope I pronounced this correctly, NUMAR Office of uh, Child Health Policy and Advocacy. Shannon, welcome to the show again. Thank you. And I, Nemoir uh, is a word I always stumble over. Did I do it <laughs> right? <laughs> I've heard it said nemores. Nemours, okay. Yeah. All righty. Well, I want to dig into this because Shannon is here to talk to us today about custody issues and breastfeeding. I think this is a really interesting topic because as most of you know if you've been following breastfeeding for any length of time people sort of think of legislation as related to breastfeeding and nursing in public, okay, great, got it. But Legal protection has to do with more than just breastfeeding in public. And by the way, Shannon, before we get started this morning, I want to just clarify something. Somebody, I guess, made this comment on my blog or somewhere about it being legal to breastfeed in all 50 states now. And the emphasis was on the now or currently. Mm -hmm. That's sort of correct, but it's a little bit misleading. It has never been illegal to breastfeed in the United States in public it's just that there have been certain states that have had a specific law that protects a woman's right so I want everybody to understand it isn't illegal anywhere in the U.S. it never has been but now yes every state has a law that makes it legal for the woman to breast that that makes that gives her the right if you will uh, to breastfeed, so Shannon, I've gotten into this a little bit before, and it, as related to the custody, mm-hmm. and I I want to start with first of all, it is my understanding that Michigan does have a law. So tell us what does the law say in Michigan about child custody?
2: Yeah, sure. So in Michigan. Um, As part of the Child Custody Act of 1970, there is a specific section on parenting time. And I'm actually going to read it to you um, because I think the legal use here is important. It says, the court may consider the following factors when determining the frequency, duration, and type of parenting time to be granted. And then there's a couple notes. And section B says, whether the child is a nursing child less than six months of age or less than one year of age, if the child receives substantial nutrition through nursing.
1: Hmm, that's very interesting. There's uh, like a whole ton of questions that come to my mind. But <laughs> <Yeah>. one, <laughs> one is, I know where they're going with that bit with the substantial. Mm-hmm. However, what is substantial to me might not be substantial to you and might not sure. be substantial to the courts. So how does sure. that work?
2: Right. No, that's a great point. And I think that I look at this and it's it's a little silly. I mean, it's like two sentences. And I'm like, if I were to go to this with my red pen, I would see lots of issues, you know, with this word here, this word there. And so, like, for example, it says may consider. So it doesn't say that the court has to consider. It says the court may consider. Mm -hmm. And then it also says... um, you know, the less than six months of age, which I understand that comes from, you know, like the CDC, AP, et cetera, you know, everybody's sure. guidelines on six months of exclusivity. Yep. But then yep. it says, or less than one year. And really that doesn't align with WHO guidelines of two years. And really right. at the Michigan Breastfeeding Network, we use that as our standard as the two years or the natural age of weaning from the World Health Organization. And then the third thing and I mean, just to not belabor the point too much, because there's more than this. But the third thing that really stands out to me is substantial nutrition. Yeah. Um, because breastfeeding, as you know very well, it's not just about nutrition. And Absolutely. so what, you know, when you're looking at substantial, that word substantial bugs me too, but also just nutrition. Like, why is that the piece that we really are um, basing this on if we know that breastfeeding is so much more when you think of the antibodies and also the emotional development that comes from breastfeeding? So
1: it's interesting the way it's worded. Ages ago, I was involved in the, um, well, I guess it wasn't all that many ages ago, but I certainly Mm -hmm. was a founding member of the United States Breastfeeding Committee. Mm -hmm. And one day we had some special guest who came and was talking about, I can't remember what, but anyway, they said that they were starting a new program and A was for this and B was for that and C was for the other thing. And somebody said, well, wait a minute, I would like to see B for breastfeeding. And he said, no, 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 we're going to put the breastfeeding under F for food. Mm. And we all just kind of cringed because this is a major misconception in our society that, I mean, certainly human milk is food, unquestionably. We're not disputing that. But it's so much more than food. Right. So that's, I, I would agree. Definitely that word may consider is a weasel word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, as an author myself, it's one of my favorite words. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> Thus and such may happen. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, but there's, There's this emphasis on certainly the nutrition, the substantial, and also there was another one there that bothered you and bothered me. What was it now? The less than one year of age. The less than one year. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, Shannon, I'm going to be totally ignorant here, and I'm going to say, well, Shannon, I don't really care what the World Health Organization says because... Here in the United States, we're just going to pay attention to what the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control say, and what the American Academy of Pediatrics says. So we don't really care about this World Health Organization thing. How would you respond to that?
2: You know, that's a good question. I would say, um, a couple things. I think the first point on that is that that's fine. I mean, we still need to get, we're not, we're nowhere near either here in the United States when you're looking at breastfeeding outcomes. (laughs) Right. So if we were to get all of our babies to breastfeeding for a year, like what a win. And I would certainly take that win. Um, at the Michigan Breastfeeding Network, we like to push towards that two-year one because, with the World Health Organization because of the additional env- um, emotional development that happens in that time and also the development of the um, this disease prevention. So, um, So I think that, you know, if people want to get caught up on the one-year thing, I can say, hey, that's fine. If you want to get all babies or whatever, 95% of babies in the United States breastfeeding for a year, let's do it. I'm in. Um, yes. that's not necessarily a point that we argue very much. Um, but it's just, why not, why not go for two years? When you think about all of the things that we could benefit, I was, re- I was listening actually to some of your previous podcasts and the, the one on disaster readiness always really gets oh,
3: me. like, yeah. why
2: not, why not have babies breastfeeding longer? What's wrong right. with it?
1: You know? Right. So, oh, and you probably uh, saw that thing that was on Fox news here just a bit ago. And I, uh, published a blog on that which got a lot of traffic because the woman was breastfeeding a four-year-old and she took a lot of heat, a lot Mm -hmm. of shame for this, quote, disgusting act. And so we certainly do need to change our headset. But I'm with you. If we could get to the one year, uh, I'm not going to go to the mat for the two years just yet. I think, though, Shannon, that one of the problems is that People really do see this older baby as this is not normal or it's not valuable or it's, yep. oh, you know, it, it's just, again, I think we go back to this bit of it's, it's just food. I, I can think of one pediatrician who kind of drives me kind of crazy because he tells mother, yeah, breast milk, formula milk, it's all pretty much the same. And I'll I'm thinking... To- yeah doc not really (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so I think that we've got a lot of work to do with changing that headset that that it's all pretty much the same because it pretty much isn't and you're right there are the the immunological protection the the bonding the brain I mean one of the things that I always kind of bring up is the whole bit with brain development right and I help parents at least, and and I would say professionals as well. Why do you think that the baby has that soft spot for almost two years? It's because his skull is not knitting together yet. And the reason his skull is not knitting together yet is that he is still growing the volume of his brain. And hello, the best way to grow a human brain is with human milk. So I contend... That if they've still got that uh, that brain growing in volume, then yeah, put the best thing in there to grow the brain for heaven's sakes. Oh, don't get right. me going. So <laughs> it sounds like you and I could go on this topic oh, for yeah. hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, I'm sure she still has some more to say. Uh, <laughs> so, Shannon, I know that it's going to take more than a couple of minutes here, uh, sure. and we've only got a couple of minutes left, really a little bit less than a couple of minutes uh, in this segment, but that's okay. We can uh, go later. When you think about the improvements that need to be made for the current law or the current policy, what would you identify as the number one priority? And then we'll talk more on the other side of the break about some other things. Oh
2: gosh, number one priority. Um, I would say that... um, I, I would like to see the change be where we go in a more tiered way. I think mm-hmm. that um, if I was going to say one thing, it's that there are huge differences in, you know, in developmental readiness for separation between zero and three months. And then, you know, three to six months, six to 12 yes. months, 12 to 18 months, et cetera. And I think that having the law look at like 18 years old and younger um, as the breakout, Yeah, sorry, 18 yeah. months. Um, that that's not the best way to look at it, that I think that we really need to think of these as different stages. Um, and so I, yeah, I'd like to see some expansion of that, some more nuance in the law.
1: Actually, Shannon, I uh, maybe I'm just ignorant, but that has just absolutely never occurred to me. And I'm sorry I put you on the spot, but I'm actually not sorry I put you on the spot because um, that uh, I think that is a priority in the sense that it shouldn't be that hard, but it would seemingly gain an awful lot to not put all of the kids into the same pot, so to speak. Hey, everybody, do not go away, because when we come back, I'm going to ask Shannon what else she wants to see changed, and we will continue. I'm here today with my guest, Shannon Schubert. I'm Marie Biancuso. We'll be right back after this short break.
3: Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff?
5: Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby friendly requirements, or perhaps you need just a few sessions.
3: Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours.
5: You know, Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process.
3: Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24 7, so staff can study at at their own pace.
5: You can use the course for all of your staff, or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished.
3: Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste
5: another minute trying to develop your own course.
3: Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works.
5: Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues, anxious, parenting challenges, no more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reish. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your
0: breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at com to see if you can be Marie's next guest.
1: Hi everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to Be Breastfed and I am here today with Shannon Schubert and she is talking about breastfeeding and custody. Her specific expertise is with the state of Michigan, but her ideas are absolutely relevant to anyone in all of the other 49 states, no doubt. Now, before we went to break, I asked Shannon what would be the priority for the uh, improvements that could be made in the current law or current policy. But Shannon, talk to us about some other ones as well, if you would, please. Sure,
2: yeah. So I think that the things that we were talking about in terms of concerns with the law are important and that if this, you know, if this law were to be looked at again, um, I would really like to, you know, tighten up wording like may and, you know, move it to two years instead of one year. Some of the things that we were referencing um, previously But then another thing that I think that we really need to think about is that there needs to be guidance within the law. I had mentioned that I think there should be a tiered policy and that that would be number one. Um, So thinking through what it means, you know, zero to three months, three to six months, et cetera. But I also think that there needs to be guidance within the law, because I think that you need to acknowledge that within our court system, breastfeeding training is not something that, you know, most judges get as part of their work to become a lawyer or judge, right? And so providing guidance and making it clear why this matters um, would be really helpful and relevant um, in these cases. And I wanted to circle back too, to your point earlier about how um, many people you know, see breastfeeding beyond a year as a detriment. We've actually had a case of that in Michigan where a mother was sent for psychological examination and so was her child. Um, and her lawyer went along with it because her lawyer thought, well, you might be, let's just get it figured out. Um, because she was breastfeeding the baby. Um, the baby, I think was at 19 months, not quite two years. So I think 19 months at the time. Um, and then the, the husband, or I guess at this point, the ex-husband and his lawyer and the judge all believed that there was a potential that the mother was causing psychological damage, oh, uh, which is just silly, you know, oh. based on oh. the recommendation so one of the things that we offer on our website in case anybody ever needs this is a template letter um, that just explains the benefits of breastfeeding extended beyond a year um so that when these considerations are made that's kind of a tool in the toolbox um in case that comes up for others because it's a real issue
1: Uh, i would agree and i've got a bunch of stuff that i've got printed out from your website shannon i not sure that I've quite got my hand on that letter, but anyway, uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm i sure we can all find it. I'm kind of rifling through here, but I don't want to get too far off. Yeah, some years ago, I had an attorney call me. He was an attorney for the mother, mm-hmm. and he called me, and he kind of said, the baby is two years old. Uh, how how much should I really do for this? Is this realistic? Is this something that we can win? I said, well, he didn't really say it that way, but you get the idea. He's sure. he's looking to see if it's worth his while kind of thing. And I said, look, at, from a nutritional standpoint, I think it's going to be a harder case to make. I think that you would do well to look at all of the other benefits that uh, the baby would have. And the reason I say that is, for instance, even... I teach a comprehensive lactation course, as you probably know, Mm -hmm. and I am astonished at the number of people who are getting their IBC or they're they're prepping for their IBCLC and do not know that the nutrient elements are different than the immunological uh, components or, or at least can be discussed separately. And so I'm thinking the general populace doesn't really get that either, Mm-hmm. So this is a major piece that we've got to take care of. Uh and the Oh Shannon, how many people do you know of who think that the immunologic properties somehow disappear at 6 months? Would you agree? Oh my gosh, I, there's <laughs> no way I could count that number.
2: <laughs> Me Which, too. You know, it's it's true and it's just so frustrating. Oh, oh. yeah. Yeah. And also the emotional development. And that, you know, one of the things that we cite in our system changers guide and some of the other resources we offer is that a lot of people don't understand that, like, the period of time where these family transitions are happening are hard on everybody. You know, I think a lot of people in our society think, oh, babies are so flexible, babies adjust, whatever, they can handle it. And they don't understand that like the, the process of the family separation is hard on baby. And Absolutely. one of the things that you can do to support baby during this transition is the continuation of breastfeeding. And there's even research that says that bonding with fathers is um, is not detrimentally affected when breastfeeding continues. And it's in part because you're laying the foundation for good, healthy emotional development for the, um, for the baby during this period. So really... You know, it's even in father's best interest, um, or, or partner, it's even in the partner's best interest to let the breastfeeding relationship continue um, when you're thinking about long-term development and bonding and emotional stability for the baby.
1: Uh, I would totally, totally agree. But, of course, you're kind of preaching to the choir here. But, yeah. Sure. So, <laughs> so, so, Shannon, well, actually, just one other thing I want to add. When I'm having a bad day, I want my comfort food and essentially the baby is getting his comfort food, so to speak. Um, Talk to us a little bit about these child custody arrangements, because I have talked with parents where there's just all sorts of complicated, goofy stuff that has been suggested, some of which isn't even practical. Tell us a little bit about what you've seen and what you'd like to see.
2: Yeah, sure. So I think there's two things to respond to that. One is, the state of Indiana has actually released a, um, I'm going to pull it up just to make sure I say the right terms. They offer Indiana Parenting Time Guidelines, and it's from Indiana Rules of the Court. Um, and it was just recently completed. This was, It was published as late as January of 2017. And they offer ways of looking at that zero to three, three to six, six to 12 month breakout in a that's way that gives you, you know, hourly breakouts of how much a baby can handle. And when you think you, you know, if you read this, like as an IBCLC, you look at that and be like, oh yeah, that's what a baby can handle based on how frequently they need access to the breast. Um, so I think that the, I really look to that Indiana Parenting Time Guidelines, even though it's, you know, not law in Michigan, if people really are interested in what to do healthfully for a baby, they, yes. uh, there's, there's a great blueprint for how to do this. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing is, I think that it's really important that mothers and fathers think about this or mothers and partners think about this from the perspective of what's best for the baby. And really the parents know what's best for the baby, you know, and that's, I'm sure one of the things you teach is like, it's up to the parent to watch feeding cues. It's up to the parent to watch finding cues, right? Right. And if they're really being true to themselves and true to their awareness of their child that honestly they know they know that baby needs to continue to have that access to the to the mother and to the mother's breast and you know for breastfeeding and things. So we um another thing that we really do is help parents to think about this through the lens of what's best for baby, not what's fifty fifty for mom and dad and what's best for, you know, mom to go through this separation and what's best for dad to go through the separation. But how will baby respond best? And they think that when parents really come at it from that angle and work together Um, they can have a lot of success in figuring out a parenting plan that's based on the habits of their child and adapts with the habits of their child.
1: I want to go to that habits of the child thing. Have you ever met a judge who is aware that some kids simply will not take a bottle? They just won't.
2: You know, we've gotten lucky. I mean, in the state of Michigan, you know, we have a lot of district courts. And so, yes, we have had some. But when I'm, I mean, that's, there's one, two. So to answer (laughs) To be honest and answer your question, yes, I have. Okay. Is, but, are but, they representative of the jury, you know, the formal <laughs> judges? Certainly d- not. Different um, question, yes. Yeah. yeah, and I think that that's a big thing is one of the things that I, I hold on to, I, when I first got into my career in breastfeeding, my, I happen to have a um, nurse midwife, a certified nurse midwife as an aunt, and one of the things she said to me is I wasn't a breastfeeding mom at the time I got into this. I got into this work for public health. And she said to me, you know, Shannon, you don't have to have breastfed to be really successful at breastfeeding advocacy. Nobody expects a cardiologist to have had a heart attack. (laughs) But sometimes, you know, or not even sometimes, the majority of people in the world of breastfeeding, they only get their information about breastfeeding through the experience of breastfeeding. And so you'll have a male judge who's like, well, I don't know about breastfeeding. I never never breastfed. And it's like, come on, this is evidence-based practice. Right. Let's, let's, you know, take it upon ourselves to understand evidence-based practice. Um, you don't have to have been in a car accident to know that seatbelts are important, right? So right. I think that, right. you know, one of the things that it's incumbent upon all of us in breastfeeding advocacy to think about is how do we help people come out of their personal experiences and not only rely on the judge who's had a good breastfeeding experience or the warden who's had a good breastfeeding experience, but instead thinking about how do we get evidence-based messaging to these folks so that they can become advocates for you know better better societal
1: outcomes that sounds like a full-time job shannon shannon what have you uh encountered with what i would call overnight issues Mm -hmm. uh what have you encountered what do you think what's your advice
2: sure i think it goes back to, and we you know we make the same um argument when it comes to the workplace law too this is not a permanent issue the breastfeeding relationship is you know, two, three, however many years that the child of the child's life, this is not permanent. It's very, very short term in the grand scheme of things. And so, yes, overnights at the beginning, you know, right, the father probably won't get overnights with the baby, um, especially if it's a, you know, a young zero to three, three to six kind of issue there because the baby is, does need the mother during overnights. Um, and again, this comes back to parents having a reasonable conversation about what's best for the baby, because if you're honest with yourselves, you know, what's best for the baby is access to the breast in the, in nights. Um, and we know that, you know, safe sleep guidelines and, you know, all of the evidence based practice around overnights are, you know, the,
1: the need for the baby to access mother in the nighttime. And and I'm just um, thinking the father shouldn't want a baby who's (laughs) awake at night looking for it. Right.
2: Exactly. And it's very short term. You just have to continue to press that point. This is not a permanent thing.
1: Uh, Shannon, we've only got a minute or so left here, but I'm aware of one situation where uh, basically the father had rights to visit for two hours, but he had to take the baby to his apartment or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the mother fought that tooth and nail because she felt that that was unreasonable. How would you respond to that?
2: Well, I would need, I guess, to know the specific case, but I'm not sure why it would be unreasonable yeah. for the father to have access to the baby for two hours at a time.
1: Yeah, um, I would agree. And as I looked at that, my thought was, lady, don't push it here. Mm-hmm. I think that a two-hour window uh, for a baby who was, it's not like the baby was preemie or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so certainly I think that while we absolutely have to advocate for advocate for these kinds of things we also have to realize that we can't ask for something that is above and beyond because that's probably just not going to help your own case or anybody else's hey everybody don't go away because i got plenty more questions uh for shannon McKenney schubert don't go away we'll be right back after this short break
3: Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff?
5: Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby friendly requirements, or perhaps you need just a few sessions.
3: Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours.
5: You know, Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process.
3: Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24 7, so staff can study at at their own pace.
5: You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished.
3: Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish.
5: Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course.
3: Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works.
5: Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
0: Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here today with Shannon Schubert, and we are talking about custody issues as related to breastfeeding parents. So you mentioned this earlier, Shannon, but I want you to pick up on it, please, about giving information to the courts. And you're absolutely right. A cardiologist should not have had to have a heart attack. And as the great Dr. Lawrence told me many years ago, she said, you wouldn't visit a a doctor who'd had a lobotomy in order to have your brain surgery. <laughs> so indeed, yep. they, they should not have to have breastfed themselves. But on the whole, would you say that the courts are resistant to breastfeeding information or they're open to it? How would you characterize that? Well, I think that, you know, one thing I need
2: to acknowledge is, I mean, I'm working in breastfeeding advocacy and people aren't necessarily coming to us when things are going well. So my sure. perception may sure. be skewed, but it does appear as though we're in a space right now um, where breastfeeding is seen as an additional challenge. It's an additional burden. It's kind of a roll your eyes. One more thing you have to deal with. Yep. Um And so, you know, it's sort of an uphill battle. And oftentimes, breastfeeding is seen as like a weapon that the mom brings out um, yeah, Yeah. because and I think that, you know, we really, some and not to get us going again, because I think you and I could go on this for hours, but this is a formula company thing, right? Where there's this conversation about like any type of feeding is good enough or, you know, or why not just give the baby a bottle or, you know, there's been really effective marketing to make it seem as though there isn't a difference between bre- feeding at the breast and yeah, other types yeah. of feeding. There's and so, going. um. That's something, you know, it's really an uphill battle for us. And it doesn't help when the, culturally we are where we are, where there's this false equivalence between breastfeeding and bottle feeding, so especially with artificial
0: milk.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that you really kind of nailed this with um, their perception. So then I realize you're in advocacy. That means that your view is, as you easily admitted to, perhaps a little skewed, but on the whole, would you say that there is resistance or would you say they're still they roll their eyes, but they're still listening?
2: Um, I would say in our, you know, in our experience, there is active resistance about this because, oh. it, like I was saying, there is just it's just seen as one more thing. And divorce is messy. And one oh. more thing in divorce um, is not looked favorably upon.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking there have been fights about who gets the uh, frequent flyer miles, for (laughs) heaven's sakes. Mm -hmm. So you're right. This is seen very much as a weapon that the mother brings out. So I guess that would make me question, do you have interactions with fathers, Shannon? And if so, how do you handle those? Um, yeah, great question. So, the Michigan Breastfeeding
2: Network, really, we work in the um, in sphere of supporting other um, providers and stakeholders to support families directly. So, we, you know, offer kind of statewide tools. So, I have stories. I have a lot of stories that we've collected um, from folks in the field who are doing some of this work. And I, one of the things that we've learned a lot about is dads don't know. Dads don't know how much of an impact they can have on a successful breastfeeding relationship, and how important uh, a successful agree. breastfeeding relationship is for the long term yeah. health of their child. And so, we come across a lot of dads, um, you know, in these stories that are very angry at mom. Right? That's why divorce happens. There's it happens. Anger, it's messy, right. etc. And when they, when you go to them and say, right, but this isn't about mom, this is about baby, there's an automatic softening of like, oh, and I want to do the best for my child. What's that? And so for us, there's a lot of work to do in just educating dads and helping them to understand
1: the impacts of these decisions on their child. Yes. Yes. And, And by the way, that gives me a good out for saying a few months ago, I interviewed Amy Wright Glenn. And our show was on the unsupportive spouse. And she talked a lot about how this impact is huge. And uh, I've known women and you probably have known women who uh, have gotten a divorce because breastfeeding was um, a point of contention in their marriage. Mm -hmm. Now, in truth, it's probably just a symptom of something a whole lot deeper But nonetheless, I can really see this coming out in divorce court uh, big time. So how can courts play a role in actually supporting breastfeeding? And along with that, I'm eager to ask you, do you think that women judges are more sympathetic? Ooh, that's a loaded
2: question. <laughs> I do want to back up a little bit too and mention that sometimes it's I so I didn't have the benefit of hearing that podcast, unfortunately. I want to go back and listen to it. But I think another thing we need to acknowledge is that sometimes the supportive fathers are the toughest ones because the what the dads who are the most involved and feel the most engaged in their child are the ones that have a hardest time separating from that when it mm-hmm. comes right. time to divorce. And so that's why there is such an opportunity with education is because because the good dad wants to be a great dad, right? Even in this, right. you know, divorce right. um, thing. So anyway, I just wanted to kind of lift that up as also a, a piece we need to acknowledge. With that said, so circling back to your other question in terms of how do we get the courts? I think one of the things that we can do to help the courts with this is really educating friend of the court. Because friend of the court is the one who makes the recommendation to the judge about parenting, at least in Michigan. Um, there's 12 factors that they have to uh, consider in Michigan, and then they make it a, you know, a, a recommendation to the judge. And I think that there really is an opportunity here to help friend of the court um to better understand the benefits of breastfeeding and, and options for child custody, you know, kind of demystifying it and uncomplicating it so that um, when they make a recommendation, it can really be benefit, and not just, oh, and you need to consider breastfeeding, but that there's actually some real meat behind the recommendations they're giving. Um, and I'm sorry, I forgot the second part. Oh, the second part about <laughs> women judges. Yeah, you know. I think- That is an overarching issue in our society. And I think that there's a lot of work to be done within the healing around unsuccessful breastfeeding relationships, because I'm even thinking of like female HR directors or female lifeguards at the pool or, you know, sometimes women are the worst enemies of women and shame on us. We need to better support each other because I will tell you some of the worst stories I've heard. And even, you know, some of our work in incarceration, hearing about jail wardens or jail administrators that are female. They are the ones who are toughest on their breastfeeding whoever, whether it's a breastfeeding employee, breastfeeding inmate, breastfeeding, you know, um, client, etc. Beca- and sometimes it's because of the personal things tied up in breastfeeding. And I really think there's a lot of work to be done around helping women to support women as we move forward as a society on this.
1: Shannon, that is hugely important, and I'm so glad you said that because, <clears throat> as you know, I've spent a large portion of my career in the hospital, mm-hmm. and we had one nurse who would fold her arms over her chest and say, "I breastfed all five of my children," and you could just tell she she did it because she I don't know maybe didn't have enough uh, money for formula or was her family. Shamed her into doing it, or I don't know what. but you could tell she really hated it. And I was also thinking of an obstetrician that I used to work with who she was really just, I, I don't know, angry or something, but she was not at all sympathetic to women who wanted to breastfeed. She mm-hmm. didn't tell him she couldn't. but you could tell that her lack of support was front and center. So I don't think that we can just assume that somebody is because somebody's a woman that she's necessarily going to be, supportive of these, quote, womanly issues, because clearly that is not the case. I want to talk more about the friend of the court. I'm sorry, I'm grossly ignorant here, but how do you get to be a friend of the court?
2: That is a great question, and I'm actually not sure on the answer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So that's something I need to figure out, too. Okay, sorry, did not mean to take you by surprise on that, but you said that, and I'm like, huh, wow, this sounds like something that, that, I mean, presumably you've met these people, right? Yeah, but
2: you know, we're kind of in the business of like, what's handed to us, and how do we go from here? So I
1: actually, yeah, I'm not sure. Well, I just think that's interesting, because a lot of times, we need to look outside of just we do this, we do that, we write the other thing. That 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 that, you mm-hmm. know, this front of the court thing sounds to me like this is where there's a place where maybe a chance for some leverage here. Shucks, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, just just some thoughts here. So, what in your opinion, what can be done to positively impact this issue? Right now. I mean, tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., what can we all uh, try to do? I think the biggest thing is to meet people where they are,
2: specifically engaging fathers and engaging the partners who are the non-breastfeeding partner. Um, I really think that we have set up a court system where it's mom versus dad. And yes. if we can change the culture around that and say, when there's a child involved, it's about the child, and let's think about the child's needs. And breastfeeding is a key piece of a you know a young child's needs. I think that's just it's untapped, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could make a lot of shifts just by shifting the dialogue. And that can start that can start in the hospital, you know, in the prenatal classes, in the WIC agencies. It can start with engaging dads around breastfeeding, you know, prior to the birth. But then it would lead in to, you know, more awareness and better understanding when you come up against issues like child custody and divorce. Just in general, we need to do better around engaging dads and and non-breastfeeding partners.
1: I, I would agree. And Shannon, you've probably lived long enough to know that for some families, the question about how to feed the baby has never even come up before the baby's actually born. Mm-hmm. And that's just sort of one of those things that doesn't get discussed and it doesn't get discussed with the health care provider or without the healthcare care provider. It's just sort of, and honestly, I've worked labor and delivery. I've seen women who come in and say when they're in labor, they don't know how they're going to feed the baby. So, mm-hmm. uh I think that we have a lot of work to do there with raising awareness about the culture in general, raising awareness during the prenatal period, raising awareness, not just in the immediate family, certainly the mother and father, but we all know that there are all the grandparents and all the other people that have influence on this as well. So, hey, everybody, do not go away. I'm here today with... uh, shannon mckenny schubert we're talking about child custody and breastfeeding we'll be right back don't go away don't go away we'll be right back after this short
4: break become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america
3: do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff?
5: Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions.
3: Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours.
5: You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process.
3: Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7, so staff can study at At their own pace.
5: You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished.
3: Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish.
5: Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course.
3: Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works.
5: Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount relationship issues, anxious, Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship and anxiety expert, Sandra Reish. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon. At 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
1: I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with Shannon McKenney Schubert, and we're talking about breastfeeding and custody issues. Now, before we dive into this too much, I just want to remind you, remember, I've got this new website. So if you're going to my old one, forget it. All right, go to my new website, and that would be mariebiancuso.com. I spent my whole life spelling it, so I don't mind doing it one more time. It's M-A-R-I-E-B-I-A-N-C-U-Z-Z-O dot com. And there you will find a ton of good things that you can download for free, lots of handouts that are helpful if you are a parent or you're somebody who is serving parents. So be sure to join up. And I blog every Tuesday and Friday. Don't miss my blogs. You can bet I'm going to have a blog about this show, okay? And also, I just want to remind people... um, Good, Marie. um, I'm not sure what I wanted to remind people. Uh, Shannon, let's go back to this business about the 12 factors that the court considers as related to the custody. Can you elaborate on that a little bit, please? I was curious about that.
2: Yeah, and also, I mean, while I'm going through these, one of the things that I think you'll wanna really notice is just how general they are and how much room they leave for interpretation. So these are part of the Child Custody Act of Michigan. And it really is kind of one parent in comparison to the other. Um, In Michigan, we don't, there has been some conversation about whether or not we should be a state that automatically assumes 50-50. and except in cases of abuse. We're not there yet. We don't have a law like that. But so what okay. this what the law considers is really looking at these twelve factors, comparing one parent to the other, and then deciding how it should go from there. So the first one is the love, affection, and other emotional ties existing between the parties involved and the child. Okay. The second is the capacity and disposition of the parties involved to give the child love, affection, and guidance, and to continue the education and raising of the child in his or her religion or creed, if any. Ooh, okay. The capacity and disposition of the parties involved to provide the child with food, clothing, and medical care or other remedial care recognized under the laws of this state in place of medical care and other material needs.
1: Food is interesting, yep. but there's a big theme on the child. Keep going. Yep. The length of time the child has lived in a stable, satisfactory environment and the desirability
2: of maintaining continuity. Number five is the permanence as a family unit of the existing or proposed custodial homes or homes. So this is, you know, where are people living? The moral fitness of the parties involved. Um, and this is kind of where they speak to, you know, marital affairs or other uh, mm. other behaviors. The mental and physical health of the parties involved. Um, and this is like age of the parents compared to the age of the child. Is there a physical and mental health problem? You, you can tell this is kind of where it can get ugly. Yep. The home school or community record of the child. So like who better encourages and influences, um, influences attendance at school, who goes to conferences, who's helpful for completing school assignments. This is older kids stuff, you know?
1: Sure. Sure. The
2: reasonable preference of the child. Um, in this, there's been, you know, cases as young as eight years old where a child is influenced where they would go. Um, the will Number 10 is the willingness and ability of each of the parties to facilitate and encourage a close and continuing parent-child relationship between the child and the other parent or the child and the parents. Um, so who best cooperates with the schedule? Do they, you know, just one parent criticize the other in front of the child, that kind of stuff. Number 11 is domestic violence, regardless of whether the violence was directed against or witnessed by the child. Okay. And then number 12 is any other factors considered by the court to be relevant to a particular child
1: custody dispute. Mm -hmm. Ding, 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 ding. ding. Number 12 gives you an in there, doesn't it? Right. Yeah, I'm thinking though, Shannon, there's a whole lot of, subjective stuff in those 12 points Mm -hmm. and the food issue, the closeness issue, all of that. Oh, wow. Uh, I can see where that could get muddy. Yes.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Well, and you know, you want to, there should be some flexibility in the law. Of course, you know, every family is different and you want that sort of thing, but that's where the piece about when you have flexibility in the law combined with an uninformed law, lawyer, uninformed judge, uninformed friend of the court, etc. it can really put moms in a difficult position when it comes to child custody relationships. And when you look at some of the folks who are really, you know, they get frustrated that women get, you know, larger percentages of the um, physical custody and those sorts of things, it still doesn't take into consideration The breastfeeding relationship. So even if a woman is to be awarded, you know, 60% or, you know, father gets every other weekend or whatever, that still, if you have a child younger than three months or younger than six months, that still can pose really difficult hurdles in a breastfeeding relationship.
1: Absolutely. Oh, wow. Uh, I noticed that on your site, You Mm -hmm. have said that Friend of the Court is a court-appointed mediator that is brought in by the court to help the parents make decisions about custody, parenting time, and medical and child support. They make recommendations to the judge and make sure the parents obey the court orders and help the parents to settle disputes during and after their case. So for those of you who are listening, I did put Shannon on the spot. She was very gracious, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) neither one of us know what the qualifications are, it, 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 or even if there are any qualifications criteria or whatever. But the reason I bring this up again is not to beat a dead horse, but rather to say, I think this is just a huge opportunity for educating friends of the court, as as Shannon said earlier. But I think that point really needs to be underlined. So, Shannon, I, we've only got a couple of minutes left here, but what else is the Michigan Breastfeeding uh, Network working on at this point? Yeah, thank you for asking that. So the Michigan
2: Breastfeeding Network really takes us foundational, that 81% of um, Michigan mothers initiate breastfeeding. And so there's this idea of like, you know, do moms want this? And should they be educated more? And how do we convince more moms to breastfeed? And and our response to that really is, listen, people, 81% of moms do want this. And we know this because they're trying. And that's CDC data. And so what we really are working on is changing the systems that make it so that the breastfeeding rates don't fall off a cliff the way that they do when you're looking at the six months exclusivity and and duration rates that we'd like to see. How do we set up systems so that women can continue to do this thing that they obviously want to do? And so um, and I would be remiss if I didn't say that there clearly are obvious you know, racial and ethnic disparities in those initiation oh, sure. rates. But oh, sure. even to, you know whatever race or, or ethnicity you're looking at, there is a clear majority of women who initiate breastfeeding. So we're looking at um, changing outcomes and changing the systems that influence breastfeeding in public. we call that anytime anywhere workplace, child care, maternity care, um, disaster readiness, incarceration, child custody, and
1: then jury duty. Um, oh, yeah. To me. Oh, make... oh <laughs> Shannon, I'm going to have to be nice to you so that you can come back and talk about jury duty because I definitely want to talk about that as well. Um, I would love it. Yeah, it's a huge issue. It is. Oh, it is. It absolutely is. And before we t- cut out today, I want to alert everybody that the Michigan Breastfeeding Uh, network has a bunch of things on their site. The one that I'm looking at is roadblock toolkits. But Shannon, if you would please tell us where we can find you and uh, all of the wonderful resources that you have, not just this. Sure. So if you go to
2: www.mibreastfeeding.org um you'll see what the Michigan Breastfeeding Network does generally. If you specifically want to get to these campaigns and some of the places where we're trying to change the systems that impact breastfeeding outcomes, it's
1: www.mibreastfeeding.org campaigns. That is all of excellent. There. Excellent. Because I know that there are there's really some very good reading here. Everybody will learn something, I'm very sure, because I learned a thing or two that I didn't know, and I'm very sure that everybody else will, so it's very much worth your while. Whether you are a health advocate or a lactation consultant or a nurse or a parent or a divorcing parent or whatever you are, there is plenty of stuff here that I think that you would be really very interested to read. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you, Shannon Schubert. Thank you for coming on the show today. Very, very glad that you could be with us today.
2: It was my pleasure. Thank you.
1: Thank you, everyone, for coming. Without you, we would not have a show. And if you found this podcast valuable, will you please tell your friends, don't keep it a secret, tell them where they can find us and that every week I will be here to dispel the myths, clarify the facts, bring the issue to the forefront, and help you to take charge of your own breastfeeding and birthing experience. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuzo next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.